Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 28th. Bit of a catch-22 for your listeners. So on the positive side, well aware of the results going on, Dominic Team wins his first home title in Austria, or at least at the event this week. Roger Federer gets another home title for himself in Switzerland. Obviously, Sabalinka takes home the Elite Trophy event title. So a lot of great results, and we want to talk about all of that. We've also had a ton of fun talking about college tennis recently on our Cracked Interviews podcast with interviews from people like Estella Perez-Somariba, Keegan Smith, Brandon Nakashima. This week, we've got the Yale Doubles ITA All-American Champions. Uh, We've had Ashley Leahy from Pepperdine. We also will have NCAA 2019 Men's Singles Champion Paul Jubb uh, released later this week. So we've been very busy on the podcast front, a ton of fun interviews to head your way to the listeners. We've also got a really fun mini break planned for tomorrow with Matt Stokowiak talking about his college contender series setting the stage uh, for the best teams in come the 2020 ITA or 2020 ITA 2020 college tennis season so be on the lookout for that but I also want to talk about the team Federer and Sabalenka titles with Matt so on today uh, today's front it's going to be a shorter podcast just want you listeners to know we are obviously well aware that team got that title well aware that Roger whenever Roger brings it home everyone in the tennis world knows that you know Roger was a ball boy there and now he's a champion again so always fun to see him have success at this point in his career. And for Sabalenka, I mean, after what a terrible middle two-thirds of the season, she finds herself right where she began the season, ranked number 11. So she can absolutely make a jump back into the top 10, has put herself in a position to be in a really good spot come 2020. So obviously we're all aware of that, but I'm going to talk more in-depth with that uh, with Matt tomorrow. For you listeners who did not listen a few weeks ago, uh, obviously you all know I'm a huge fan of the challenger circuit, particularly the American challengers, Mike Cation. I call my podfather, right? A guy I've looked up to as both a commentator, something I'm always fascinated in and watching tennis matches, seeing how well he does the job. But also, we're all fans of his podcast, The Coffee Cast, with Cation and Ruben as well. If you're a tennis fan, you're definitely listening to that. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had the chance to talk about what's coming up, what starts this week, the Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. That's a series of three American challengers uh, in Charlottesville, Knoxville, Champaign, all indoor events. Last year, we all obviously saw Riley Opelka win Knoxville and Champaign. Payne, propel himself into the top 100 now. He's obviously the second-ranked American, so we've seen players use this sort of success, secure the wild card, and launch themselves into success the next season. So that's a, a big event to monitor, and there are tons of fun players. We at Cracked Rackets love to talk about guys we have interviewed who will be competing in this series. I mentioned Brandon Nakashima. If you think he's not playing in Charlottesville, given that he's a UVA rising sophomore and they want to keep him there, you're crazy. Uh, so we're a, a lot of fun topics I covered with Mike. What we want to do for your listeners, and to be honest, this is, again, a get-out-of-jail-free card for me. That's the catch-22, but I promise you, again, best-of-the-decade series I didn't mention. We should have one of those out today as well with Matt Zemek, our first WTA topic, talking about the women who came closest to winning a slam. Uh, that just finished. It's 128 on the East Coast. Matt and I win an hour 40. That turned into a two-part podcast, so I promise, content-wise, we will keep you listeners fulfilled, all of your needs all week long, but again, shorter mini-break today. What we're going to do to make up for the time, we're going to replay that Mike Cation interview because with Charlottesville coming up so much tennis to be watched on the USDA Pro Circuit stream or on livestream.com backslash ATP 40 tennis fans. I think that interview holds up really well. I think it does a really good job of setting the scene of what you fans can expect to see down the home stretch of challengers, particularly in America, but over the course of this competition in you know, down the 2019 season stretch. So we're going to replay that interview with Mike. Uh, to any listeners who've already heard that, it's a day off for you mini break-wise. Go listen to the GSPs. Go listen to the crack interviews. You know what I'm going to ask. Like, rate, subscribe, 
review those podcasts, please. A little five-star rating. Takes 15 seconds. I could make a poor joke, but by the time I made that poor joke, you could have already gone and given it a five-star rating, thus minimizing the need for me to make a poor joke. So if you don't like poor jokes, go leave a five-star rating, and I'll stop making them and stop asking for you to go do it. But with that in mind, more immediate updates, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you know where to find us, at Cracked Rackets. Uh, for all of your content needs, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out to the super producers. Uh, I think I give them a shout out at the end of the Cajun Pod, so I'm not going to do that now. But with that in mind, enjoy our interview once more time with the one and only Mike Cajun. Joining me now on the Mini Break Podcast, one of my favorite guests to bring in. You may recognize his voice as the play-by-play commentator on the USTA Pro Circuit. You may also recognize his voice from this past weekend's ITA All-American Men's Final between Riffis and Ito. Of course, if you are a tennis podcast fan, you definitely know about the the coffee cast with Cation and Ruben. This is a guy who gives uh, balding guys like me hope in the tennis broadcasting community. Mike Cation, welcome back to the Mini Break podcast thank you it's good to have you i have to immediately uh correct you though um, oh oh no because um, immediately we've got to talk about the fact that you only listed the men's tennis uh that occurred this past sunday uh there was also a women's final uh for the Very ita all americans and i i gotta be honest i mean that's that, that's on you right there i I got to be honest. I have mentioned Ashley Leahy because, of course, I am aware. <laughs> Pepperdine champion, so don't try that on me. The fact that both Alexa Graham, Sarah Davitella, and McKenna Jones were all top 10 seeds for UNC, I think that's a warning on how this season, I think they're the sleeper team to look at on this season. So there's a little compensation from me, Mike. <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. I should not have looked that up. Obviously, you got to be there this weekend. So before we get into anything else, just yeah. for our College Times fans, how was it? Tell me what you saw. Yeah, um, Ashley Leahy was I, – I'd, I'd only really heard about her over the last couple of months, just obviously what she's been able to do really the last, I guess, month and a half in terms of the collegiate results. I know an NCAA final a couple of years ago, but uh, I was impressed with how little fear she showed at any time while also at the same time um, being resilient and – positive and smiling which i know sounds really stupid but i i her attitude while also being that aggressive was truly a revelation for me to watch um and i i really enjoyed getting to watch her play the ito riffis match um I, I i don't know that it was as clean as i would have expected um Riffis Sam didn't didn't really get into the spots that I thought he was going to be able to get to. I think the fact that it was pretty cold um, as as the match kind of progressed as they started uh, after eight o'clock and it, temperatures were in the fifties. I don't I don't know if that necessarily affected him, um, but it it just didn't seem like he was as comfortable as I'd seen him in in matches past. Uh, that being said, what Yuya Ito is able to do um, with his feet uh, is absolutely stunning um it is a great baseline for him whenever he decides to get to a point where he's going to go pro if he decides to do that after this coming season um and and i could tell that he and uh bruce burke the head coach down at texas have done a lot of work in terms of getting him to be a much more offensive player um but he he was very impressive to watch on a day where he served really poorly for for about a set for Ashley Leahy, the 2018 NCAA Singles Championship runner-up, I think that was at Wake Forest. I happened to be at that NCAA tournament. Mm. Uh, the first match I saw was Pepperdine versus Georgia Tech late at night. It was a round of 16 match, and I do remember then just thinking, mm-hmm. this is a special talent. And I mean, you look at what she's done over her first three years at Pepperdine, it speaks for herself. So it's definitely someone to circle as a player to watch. For Riffis, I know you had the chance to see him at a Futures event you were at earlier this year as well. I'm curious because there is a difference between ad and no ad format, and you got to see him in the prof- – well, he had a bunch of professional success uh, this past summer in right. terms of pl- you know playing the circuit. Did you see any sort of ad- – I mean, obviously, to make the finals, he adjusted successfully, but do you think that is something in the back of his mind, the deuce point versus the no ad? Does that – or does that – the deuce point versus the ad, excuse me, does that affect his style? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I didn't. I didn't think so. Um, 
it was a really it, it was a weird match and I, I i just found myself thinking more so that it just stylistically a guy in ito who has the defensive capabilities the speed capabilities that that really don't allow sam to get into those spots he, he does such a good job of of making more powerful players feel uncomfortable and putting um, balls into difficult spots where you have to make tough decisions and I don't know that you're able to do that as well against Yuya Ito um, with that incredible speed. And so I, I felt it was much more that than anything else. Um, I, I, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't, I don't think that anything had to, the ad versus no ad had anything to do with it just so much as I think that might be just for the moment of a bad matchup for, for Sam. And for that, for Texas, Florida, two teams with championship aspirations, Siskard Ito for the top of Texas, Crawford Riffis for the top yeah. of Florida. They could very well see each other again later in the year. For sure. With Riffis's game, I, I watched it a bunch this summer. It's, I have a, I, I don't want to say a great relationship, but I got to talk with Tanner Stump, the Florida assistant, mm. a bit over the summer. And I was joking around. I was like, I don't know if Riffis is coming back. He's having success. You know, look at him. He's making finals and futures, all these different things. And his game, even as a freshman, he loves to come forward. You know, yeah. he loves to take chances. To, and in a no-ad format, there's more pressure on you if you hit a poor pass shot. As you mentioned, with a guy like Ido, uh, he's going to have the chan- a good look at a pass. And do you want to do that on a no-ad point? So it's always interesting to watch players negotiate back and forth. It was funny to see, you know, you talk about a guy we'll talk about in a little bit, J.J. Wolf, who had success on the challenger circuit, then came out and dominated on the college uh, circuit. You imagine Riffis could have a year like that at Florida. Uh, I, I think it's within the realm of possibility. Um I, I, he doesn't have the game that is so powerful and blows you away. And I, I think I said this on the broadcast as well. Nothing about it is sexy. Um, he doesn't have that ability necessarily to get free points as, as well as JJ does. Um, and, and so I, I, I think it's entirely possible because his tennis IQ, his tennis brain is about as, as good as anybody that age. Um, so I, I think it's entirely possible I'm also very curious. Um, I, I, I talked to Tanner Stump myself, and uh, something that's very important to the Florida program is they actually do not allow their players to play professional events during the spring. Um, and I, I find that very interesting nowadays uh, just because of the fact that you do have so many players who do want to find that, that balance in between the collegiate level and the professional level, playing one or two challengers, one or two futures if you get the opportunity in the spring. And I, I actually am a uh, I, I fully respect their their decision how they want to do that. Excuse me, at Florida, um, I, I tend to think it's actually a good idea for players of that level to get out a little bit um, and and go to some challengers and and go to a couple futures and just see some different game styles and and just I don't know maybe it brings a sense of urgency a little bit more um, and and so I would like to see that and I. If I'm being if I'm being blunt, I I don't know that you necessarily get that when you're just playing once a week or twice a week, um, and it's it's not quite the same. So I I I don't know. I don't know that he can have the same level that JJ Wolf had last year, um, and I don't know that too many players can. Um, and I think he has some matchup issues, whereas I don't think JJ does just because of the fact that he will dictate at all times. What JJ Wolf last year did last year. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, you know, you shouldn't expect that out of anyone. That was one of the special seasons of the decade, of course. But it's it's funny that you mentioned uh, for Riffis, his game not playing, uh, Florida not allowing their team to play professional events. So many schools now, part of the appeal of going there is that they're able to host challenger events. My University of Michigan, I heard through the pipeline, they're getting their first challenger event in early January. Columbus now, I think there's three during the year. Uh, obviously, the Charlottesville one coming up as well. So for a bunch of different schools, that's part of the perks. That's you know why you want to go play there. So you're right. That is a fascinating thing. And yet, Coach Shelton seems to have no issues getting talent to come there, particularly these past couple of years. So it, it is a fun trend to monitor. Um, but of course with the theme of college is not the theme I want to discuss today 
the reason I brought you on, Mike, I do want to talk Challenger Tennis, of course, with you being the USTA play-by-play pro circuit uh, guy. But before that, you've had an incredible summer, and I want to chat a little bit about it because you got to do some really cool things. And as a fan of yours, it's been so fun to watch between the ATP radio where you've had you know interviews from Kyrgios and Cincy all the way on up. You got to do some play-by-play at the US Open on ESPN for the ITA All-American as well. Uh, obviously, the coffee cast thriving. Just how, how are you feeling? in post-summer it's been a busy summer for you yeah um it's I, i'm tired um <laughs> frankly i you know i um the the ita all americans just kind of uh, frankly popped into my lap just a, a last minute cancellation and so they needed somebody kind of last minute and so i happen to be available um i'm just up the road i i had actually um with with the support of of my bosses at the usta um skipped fairfield just because i i frankly needed some time with my daughter needed some time away um from a tennis court um that being said the opportunities that i continue to to have are absolutely remarkable um cincinnati was amazing doing atp radio um us open continues to be absolutely fantastic to be a part of um I, I love the team that the USTA has put together for the part of the world feed there and, and getting to learn more than anything. When I was, when I was in Cincinnati, getting to learn from Robbie Koenig, um, Kevin Skinner, um, th- those guys, just watching them do the television work, I think makes me a better broadcaster. Um, on top of it, then Carrie was on Tennis Channel from um, first ball to last ball, Carrie, North Carolina, that challenger, which was the first time that's ever happened. Um, and that, that is what, what Tennis Channel is doing in terms of just getting a couple more challengers on, on their airwaves is huge for the sport. Um, but for me, I mean, I'm, I'm just happy to continue to get to do what I, what I do, um, what I love. Um, what I'm doing with Noah is awful because that guy just is the worst. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're, we're having it. We're having a good time doing a podcast. Um, and, uh, he's coming to Charlottesville actually, despite the fact that he's not able to play right now. Um, he's going to come for a few days so that we can do some podcast stuff, uh, where God help us. We're going to be staying at the same Airbnb. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be very odd and weird and, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I think I, we're, you know, I, I hopefully people are listening and, and getting something out of it. And if not, uh, you know, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, well, who doesn't want to celebrate a Canadian Thanksgiving, right? The most recent podcast topic of or uh, topic title, of course, for you guys giving thanks, uh, being thankful about different things in tennis. Talk about the different things you guys enjoy. It's been so fun to listen to. Uh, if you don't mind me saying, this is the end of the flattery. I swear, but just okay. such an enjoy enjoyable product. Something I think the whole tennis community benefits from. But you're right. You know, in terms of uh, Jewish podcast co-hosts, you've definitely <laughs> upgraded on this. This one um but uh with wow. that yeah with that in mind well you can say that as a fellow uh, jewish right. podcast yes um yeah. yeah but just to clarify but uh for our listeners again you being the usca play-by-play guy yeah here's a smooth transition for you, you got to see some yeah. cool things over the summer and i want to look forward to the indoors but i can't let certain things fly a couple of matches in particular i wanted to circle i know you oh, wow. often okay. enjoy going yeah I, I, I would only circle the big ones i promise you'll know these but obviously over the past three months through the challenger level and beyond we've seen the rise of tommy paul who now inside the top 100 firmly you probably won't see him on the challenger tour the rest of the year and that's a testament to the success uh, he's had but you got to see the intersection of two young americans who you've seen rise over these past couple of years in carry and that of course was the michael moe Tommy Paul match, one of the stranger matches I've saw this summer, a 2-6-7-6-6-1 victory uh, for Michael Moe, but the reason I bring that match up because I want to sneak in a conversation about those two guys. For yeah. Tommy A, you had him on the coffee cast, of course, but for people who didn't hear that, um, what do you think, we'll start there, what, what do you think has clicked for him? What is working so well this summer that's allowed him to propel so far forward? Number one is health. Uh, number one, number two, and number three are health. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can you can you can say anything else here about some of the technical stuff, and I'll, I'll try to get into that. But there, there, uh, he's healthy, um, and that's been such a major, major thing for him over the last year. You you think back to where it started for him was last fall in Charlottesville, and he worked with um, a physio for the first time that week. Um, and I did a quick 10-minute interview with him after he won Charlottesville, his first challenger win. And he said, it's the first time I, I like, 
adulted, um, <laughs> and he t- he took care of his body, and looked into some of the other aspects of the sport that you have to take care of if you want to be a high level player. Um, he doesn't have that. that he's not. Riley, um, where he's six eleven, seven foot. He's not Taylor, where he's six foot four, and just that 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 type of body frame. He's he has to do a little bit more with his body. So I think that's the number one, number two, and number three. Um, fr- from there, I think, frankly, the fact that he is just going a little bit more in, in terms of just in, in, uh, frankly intelligence with shot decisions. Um, he brought on ba- Brad Stein uh, just actually the week before in New Haven, uh, before I saw that match in Kerry. Um, and I, I don't I don't think you can give Brad Stein all the credit, um, Kevin Anderson's coach, Bjorn Fertangelo's longtime coach, because of the fact that obviously things were clicking for Tommy through the summer. Um, but I think just the decision-making process for Tommy has slowed down. The fact that he's healthy and at full speed has allowed him to make better decisions. And, and frankly, the maturity just is is there, much more so than it was in the past. So I think ultimately those are the, the two things I'd, I'd put it on. Health, number one, and number two, just that, that I, I, let me say this. Number two is the adulting um, and just being a little bit more mature in the process. And then number three, in terms of the technical side, I think the decision-making processes are just a little bit more advanced right now. Um, and, and frankly, I think... He needed to graduate in, in terms of moving from his coach, Diego Moyano, who he'd worked with since juniors. Um, and I think, you know, Brad Stein is certainly a guy who's going to be able to give him a, a different level, different set of eyes. Um, both these guys I have incredible respect for, Brad and Diego. Um, but, you know, maybe it was time. Um, and I, I think for him, you know, all of that is, is just really put, put a, a, just a good mindset in terms of being an adult, being a professional tennis player, what he's capable of. You're going to ask about Michael Moe. Um, and, and that, you know, you, you talk about where he's at right now with his ranking having plummeted because of the fact he wasn't able to defend the points because of answers one, two, and three, once again, <laughs> our health. Um, he also went through a pretty bad coaching transition um, having gone from Glenn Weiner, who wanted to step away and, and spend more time um, in, in terms of his wife um, and being located in, in the Sarasota-Bradenton area, um, then went to Alexander Vosky, uh, a guy who was a, a German former pro, and it just went poorly. Um, they, they split after a, less than a year. Um, and I, I think that set Mike back along with the fact that he missed five months um, and maybe the game wasn't quite where it needed to be. Um, frankly, I, I, you know, seeing him in, in carry, I thought that he was ready to turn a corner, wasn't able to then progress on it. And frankly, I think defending points like he did where he had back-to-back titles in Columbus and um, Columbus and Tiburon and the fact that he wasn't able to do that and had the, those 200 points just sitting there staring at him, I, I think that that's a, a pressure that is pretty normal. I don't think he necessarily accepted it and, and really put the, the weeks together that he needed to. That being said, I, I actually, we're going to talk about the indoors. He's somebody I put on my dark horse list. Um, mm. I, I, I do think he's healthy. Um, so I, I think he's going to be fine long term. Um, I think he's gotten back to a point where he's seeing that he can't just be defensive and push balls back through the middle. Um, he needs to be an aggressor. Um, the Tommy Paul match, though, really exposed what is his most glaring weakness. Tommy Paul just able to drop shot him and just bring him forward. And there is there is no idea what to do for Michael Moe. So I think that's going to be fun to watch as he progresses in that, that dimension. So I hope that answers your question as best I could. I didn't even have to ask the question. It absolutely answered it. Well done, as always. Uh, you should uh, be a commentator. I think yeah, you try. have a future. In it. Um, no, to the Tommy Paul point, it, it's the perfect intersection of a bunch of events you did because you talk about Tiburon where he went and when you talk about his maturity and decision-making process, case in point was that final against Tanasi Kakanakis, right, where the yeah. level of play just so high and Tommy managed the highs, the lows. He allowed his athleticism uh, to shine. He made it a physical match against a worn down. Kokonakis and yeah. that's that's what you do when you're a top 100 player and it's just a level I think I agree with you we've seen from him now in multiple spurts this year it's not just this it was during the clay season as well when he got the French Open wild card um, right. so that he's been able to do it multiple times it's, it's why I think people were always so high on his potential uh, because you just see flashes of brilliance when he's healthy yeah and I, I it's one of those things where I I hate the word potential um, just because of the fact that 
you talked about that final, Thanasi and, and Tommy, two guys who have, you would say, world of potential. And both of them, if you were, you know, if you were to stop the, the, their careers, say, middle of the summer, before Tommy really kind of was able to progress into the top 100 for the first time, you would say they're disappointments because they didn't meet that potential, which is not a fair assessment because of the fact that both of them have been hamstrung by injuries. Um, so it's it's one of those things that potential is great, um, but, but it's just such a... I hate that word because we, we then have these expectations that are set along with them. And I just, you know, the way if we can just let players grow at their own pace, it's just such a much better and much men- more mentally healthy uh, way to look at it. Instead of potential, can I say sustained excellence? We had seen flashes of excellence before, sure. such as his run in Atlanta, his run at the City Open. For him to sustain that level over multiple yeah, for months, sure. very reassuring is how I would then try and freeze because I agree. I think that's a completely fair point. Uh, but speaking of potential, potentially yeah. one of the funniest moments for me of the past, we'll say past couple of weeks on tennis Twitter, uh, one event you were not at, but Fairfield did have a play-by-play commentator. Obviously, we'll say uh, the play-by-play commentator had a Sarasota Challenger moment on the broadcast during one of the points. And many people pointed out that it was, in fact, not you, Mike Cation, on the call. Yeah. How, how, what is it, when a moment like that happens is that re- you're like, wow, people really care. Are you laughing alongside with everyone? How I saw the wasn't me tweet. Uh, it was funny. Yeah. No, I mean, Ken Thomas is the name of the commentator, and Ken certainly has a, a pretty unique style. Um, he's put in a lot of time over the years as a commentator, um, having done RadioTennis.com for, I think, like 20 years. So he's really, when you think about the, um, the world of streaming tennis, uh, you have to list Ken Thomas as a pioneer. Um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I've, I've really not interacted with Ken very much. Uh, so I, I have no idea whether he thinks it's funny or he, you know, he was, he was embarrassed. I, I don't, I don't know Ken at all, actually. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's really cool that those kind of moments happen because, again, I think it just brings attention to the sport. Um, and and I, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I, if I, I really don't know what to say about Ken, cause I've, I've, like I said, I've never met him. I've never had the chance to work with him. Um, but I, I'm just really appreciative of his incredible work ethic. Um, and the fact that he's, he's out there grinding even more than I am. I mean, I, that guy spends like 35 weeks uh, on the year on the road. Um, so I have a lot of respect for Ken. Um, and, and yeah, that was certainly entertaining. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm all for it. I think this is a stupid observation, but I think him and Luke Jensen have the exact same voice. Huh. I was convinced okay. he was Luke, and I was just, is this the Luke on the guy? We had him on a crack review. I was like, it sounds just like the <laughs> intonations, just all the different things they do. That's a random thought, but yeah, I'm all for it. I agree. It's exciting. It's fun. It You're excited along with the point. That's what I like to hear, but I obviously got excited because I could pick your brains forever. The reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, for our listeners who don't know, it's hard to keep track with everything going on in the tennis world. That's why we like to do this daily mini break, um, but the Australian Open USC, or I should say the USC Australian Open wildcard challenge about to get underway. It starts in Charlottesville. I want to say the week of August 28th. Yes. Or August, excuse me, October 28th. Yes. October 28th, where it'll get started in Charlottesville. In terms of American challengers, we have Charlottesville, Knoxville, and then Champaign and Houston in the same week. I believe you will be at Charlottesville, Knoxville, and Champaign. So what I I wanted to do today with that in mind, uh, set the scene a little bit for our listeners. There are so many interesting things that go on at the end of the year, whether it's players positioning for top 100 status, they want direct and 
entry into the Australian Open or to put themselves in contention for it. They need to put themselves into contention for Australian Open qualifying. Uh, there is still a lot of important tennis left to be played during this year, and you are going to have a front row seat to all of it, Mike. So what I asked you to do, what I did myself, put together a couple of names. I said three, but I'm sure, as we've talked about Tommy and Michael, it will expand beyond that. Just some guys to watch as these indoor challengers go on. So we'll start with you, Mike. When you were thinking about uh, the guys to put on this list, what was the your general criteria? Yeah, well, let me let me just start by putting together two storylines for you in terms okay. of the bigger storylines. Number one, with what what always happens year in year out with these three particular challengers and Houston, um, it is all about motivation. Um, you have some players who are incredibly just thinking about the, the December and, and a, a vacation somewhere in Ibiza or something like that and not focused. And so you have some of the worst losses of the year in these three challengers. Um, so that's number one, because you're going to have some guys who are playing above their level, trying to sneak into the top 250, top 100. You have some players who crumble under the pressure of trying to get into the top 100 for the first time. And then you have players who frankly are not, not 100% committed. Um, and, and so that's the biggest storyline for me of those three weeks, year in, year out. Storyline number two is it's Jack Sock. Well, um, so so then before you get to storyline number two, can I quick yeah. thoughts on storyline number one yeah, for our ahead. listeners who aren't aware of the Australian Open, uh, UST Australian Open wildcard challenge. It is uh, the, I guess, sequel to the Australian Open wildcard playoff. Did you ever get to do the play by play for those playoffs? I did not know. Uh, that was a fun event. I, I have like this memory. I want to say it was like 2012 of Tennis Sandgren winning that event. I think he won the wild card there and Colette Lewis covered it. And I was just like always tuning into zootennis.com. I was like, oh, who won today for this wild card challenge? That's a stupid little story for the listeners. Um, but this is, you know, over the past couple of years, there have been so many different ways this storyline has gone. You talked about that Tommy Paul Charlottesville challenger title. Well, years before that, there was no Ruben coming back and beating Tommy Paul in the Charlottesville right. challenger final. We've seen guys like Tim Smichek, like Noah Ruben. Last year, it was Michael Moe, uh, Riley Opelka, and Jack Sock, technically. Or maybe it was two years ago, it was Michael Moe. But uh, last year, Opelka, Jack Sock, both jockeying for that Australian Open wild card as well. We seen guys like Riley Opelka last year go on a run in the indoor challengers, propel his way into the top 100, and then find a way to solidify it at the start of 2019. Uh, We've seen, I think, a Taylor Fritz sort of solidify his place in the top 100, do the same thing. I mentioned Michael Moe. So there really is that opportunity if you're motivated, right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Especially because some of these draws get a little bit open, players... Uh, the the draw in Champagne has um, every year been among the weakest um, of the year because, frankly, Charlottesville, strong. Knoxville, you have a couple of players who can't hit one of those goals, essentially 100 for main draw, 250 for qualifying for Australian Open. Um, so you just have weaker draws in Charlotte, uh, from Charlottesville to Knoxville is a drop-off, and then from Knoxville to Champaign is a drop-off. Now with the fact that Oracle also has a, a challenger in Houston, um, you have two draws that are relatively weak in the final week of the year. Um, so yeah, the opportunity is there. You have these incredible storylines because you have guys who are fighting for the Australian Open wildcard or Australian Open main draw. You also have guys who are ranked... 500 or 600 in the world who are suddenly in their first ever quarterfinal and a real chance to to win and get into a semifinal. So I, I think they're fascinating tournaments um, because, again, I have typically a decent idea of what will happen um, from week to week at the challenger level. These three weeks... I, I have no clue. <laughs> I think a couple of years ago it was, or maybe last year was Ryan Shane. A couple of years before that, yeah. Clay Thompson, who made right. runs in Champagne, of course. Dennis Navolo. Dennis Avello, that's another one. Yeah, it's it's indoor tennis, which is a whole other component. It brings a brand new element to the scene. It is again why these uh, results over the past or over the next couple of weeks will be so fun. But we'll get into a couple of other guys in a little bit. Let's get to story nine, storyline number two. Jack Sock, who today I want to say lost the was up three zero, lost the first set seven six, and ended up retiring in Las Vegas for his result. He is on the precipice not only of 
falling out of the top 300, but falling out of the rankings completely. Uh, Storyline number two, Mike, list it for me. Yeah, it's Jack Sock. I mean, he's got 180 points to defend the week of Charlottesville. Um, He he can't obviously even defend that by winning uh, Charlottesville should he do that. Um, it is, it is obviously the injury issue at the beginning of the year is, you know, that that's, that's one thing. And he lost months uh, of time due to that thumb issue, but it is amazing to see that he has not been able to just kind of turn a corner and pick up just even a couple wins here. Um, and I, I, I haven't seen him yet. He was in Fairfield. I didn't get to see that. Um, he was in, uh, Vegas obviously, and I'm not there. Um, so I haven't been able to see him outside of what I saw at the U.S. Open, and I, I, I'm. It's stunning. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't remember something like this happening, um, where you have a player who is in the top ten who is on the verge of being completely unranked, I, uh, without the, it, a, a prolonged like year, two year, three year absence. I just can't remember it happening. Um, so I, I, I don't know what to expect from Jack when we see him in Charlottesville. He's on the list right now. I can't imagine him not being there, but you know, I, I, I hope for his sake that he's able to put something together that week. Um, but it is going to be, you think about it, he's likely unseated. That means he's going to be playing on Monday, um, you know, and playing, playing somebody who is 300, 400 in the world just to have a ranking. That is, I, I, I can't even begin to, like, what am I saying there? Jack Sock is going to be playing on a Monday of a challenger to have a ranking. That it's, it's unheard of. It's, and you look at just the, his past results from this summer, and yeah, we are all aware he is coming off of injury, and it's a number of injuries, so it's just so impossible to balance that with having to stay alive, but he loses, you know, sh- straight sets six and six, but straight sets to Kestmanovic in Atlanta, straight sets to Thompson at the City Open, first round qualies to Kukushkin at Cincinnati, straight sets to Cuevas, U.S. Open, obviously Laver Cup, he become you know, vintage Jack Sock, but right. then to go to, go to Fear, Fairfield, lose in three sets to the young Jack Draper, lose again in a retirement uh, first round in Vegas. Indoors, maybe that's the elixir, because beyond that, it, it really will be a struggle. Yeah, it will be. Um, and and I, I, I do know that a few years ago when, when Jack was on the cusp of breaking into the top 100, he struggled at the challenger level. Um, he and Ryan Harrison both were guys who had far greater success at the ATP level than they did at the challenger level. Um, and, and for whatever reason that may be. And so I, I, I did find myself wondering if he was actually going to be playing some challengers. I think it's crucial for him right now to get that confidence back and just find it again. Um, I, I think with the indoors, two things here, number one, yes, he's got a massive serve and a massive forehand to power through a court uh, as well as anybody, um, that will be at that tournament. Question number two, uh, you know, where's his fitness level? Um, because you do need you do need some speed there. He can't just be a one trick pony because obviously you have those players who are who are primed and ready to say I beat a guy who was top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. And that Monday, that Tuesday, whenever he plays his first round, I, I think it's going to be uh, I, probably the most engaging first round matchup I can remember in a long, long time at the challenger level. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it'll be a match. I promise I will be tuned into when you look at the little counter, how many people are watching. Yeah. You I think it's going to be a big one. Yeah. You can rest assured, Mike, I will be in that grouping. Um, okay. He's, he's a guy to watch Ev, for, for all of the reasons you mentioned, but I, I teased this player earlier. So I'm going to sneak one of mine in now. Uh, a guy who uh, recently turned pro after uh, such as maybe one of the most successful, if not, oh, well, you know, Steve Johnson was earlier this decade. So right up there alongside everyone else, JJ Wolf of Ohio State now turned pro. I believe he is was the 16 seed uh, this weekend in Vegas. He may have lost his first round match. I have to look that up as we go. But for JJ this year, uh, yes, he's turning pro off the back of an early January uh, challenger title win in Columbus. He made another final in Columbus uh, during the summer as well. But beyond Columbus, this is a guy who has yet to, I, you know, I don't want to say prove it. 
because that's not fair. He has, I think, in Granby, he made a final as well, but has really yet to find his settle, set a course, I suppose, settle into the pro circuit. And given that this is going to be indoor tennis, something he played a bunch of in college, I think J.J. Wolf is a guy who, if healthy, could have a very successful run over the next couple of months. It's funny. I, I, I don't. Um, really? Yeah. I that I, Looking at those entry lists, that's not somebody that I, it stuck out to me. Um, I, the entry list, we should point out, the only ones that are out right now are Charlottesville and Knoxville. Champagne will come out next week. Um, I, 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 no, I, I really don't. Um, I, I, I think JJ has incredible uh, capabilities, and I'm, I'm gonna have to pu- pull up, you know, just the, his, his ranking myself and just what he's been able to do um, over the last couple okay. of years. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that it's necessarily there yet. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of times you see at this time of the year as well, guys who are just have left college in May, who are struggling with the grind of playing professional tennis. Um, so if, if I'm looking at it here, what has JJ Wolf done lately? So I'm going to make the case for it real quick, and then you can give the counter. So my case for it, again, to talk about what he's done in indoor challengers in 2019, because that's for me, you know, he's going to be playing indoors here, goes to Columbus, uh, you know, along the way beats Torbergard in the finals, beats guys, Peluo, Greek Spore, not not necessarily guys he may see uh, moving forward, but then he goes to Cleveland, follows that up round of 16, Win of, wins over Ryan Shane and Jason Jung before losing a really close three-set match to Marco Skiron that I had the pleasure of being at. Um, you look elsewhere, he goes uh, to the challenger in Drummondsville. Again, round of 16 there, so gets a couple of wins. in. I believe that Drummondsville's indoors, am I wrong? Yes. Yeah, Drummondsville. It's indoors. It's indoors as well. So then doesn't play another, you know, then struggles on the outdoors, and I'm sure you're going to mention that. But then again, goes indoors again in Columbus in September after not playing, but or after you know no success really throughout the summer, and makes another final. Right, beats a guy in Michael Mo who had a ton of points to defend. Beats a guy in Emilio Gomez who we've seen have a bunch of success over the past couple of weeks. Not indoors. Uh, that's that's a fair point, um, but still speaks to the fact that he's been playing at a high level. I I have this memory of a match between Emilio Gomez and Alex Damajan. I want to say 2013 National Indoors, and this was Completely prime. Random, but okay. This is prime Alex Damajan. One of my what ifs of the decade is what if he would have yeah. stuck with tennis because just such a talent. But Emilio Gomez is one fast. Fast, uh, fast yes. mother. I'm just gonna say he yes. is very, very quick, and so still good win for him. But he makes a final indoors. So when he's played indoors this year, he hasn't lost first round matches. Is what I'm trying to say. And I just think he's gonna get his bearings and be a tough out because he knows. Uh, he I talk about a guy defending points. Columbus is coming right around the corner in January, so needs to rack up some points now in case you know January doesn't go off as it doesn't go as well as he planned. Of of those that you just listed, and I, uh, I I think the only there there are only two that are surprising for me of those wins. Number one, I guess I don't even think one is a surprise. Mike beating Michael Mo two and two indoors in Columbus, um, just that one is surprising. Number two, I'm, I, I mean I guess the the win over Jason Jung in in Cleveland are the only two that are surprising about JJ Wolf. Um when he's playing in Columbus, he's great. Okay. Yeah, the year sure. before, you know, in November of last year, he lost to Knoxville to Christopher Eubanks. Then he lost to Jared Hiltzik in Champaign. I I I find it hard to get excited. It, yeah. it's possible. It's possible, but I I I I wouldn't put, you know, much much stock in it yet until he shows me he can do it consistently outside of his home state. So I saw him. We both saw him. This is stupid. And college tennis is not the challenger level. But we saw how dominant he was in Chicago, right? Indoors. Uh, I don't care about that. No, I agree. He was so good there. But for me, the thing is, I think indoors, if you can't hurt him, you don't have a weapon, to a definitive weapon to, you know, expose the fact that he's a little small. You know, not the most remarkable athlete. Still an incredible talent, but that's how you can expose him is with a weapon. I think anyone who gives him time indoors, it's lights 
out. That forehand is too heavy. He's so good at seeking it out, stepping around, and protecting that backhand side so he can hit inside in, inside out forehands. Uh, sneaky power on the server. I just, he's a guy to me who, if he rips off, you know, let's say he even does a Nakashima and goes round of 16, quarterfinal, semifinal. To me, that's a successful progression for him in his okay, first yeah, full winter. Fine. Right? That's that, fine. That, that's um, a win. I, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I just have I have my doubts um, for this particular stretch, and and I will reserve the right to change it when we come to the spring. But I I just have I just don't have a great feeling about it this stretch. I think everything you said is completely reasonable, um, but I I think I need to see him do it consistently outside of the state of Ohio before I'm going to be a buyer. Right. That's fair. Well, then tell me someone you are buying on. Yeah. So I I what I did instead of giving you three people. Um, I, I put down into three categories. Mm. Um, number one is the favorites. Um, so I, I just put down, I mean, five guys that I have on my list that are in at least one of the two tournaments. I know you guys did a podcast. I haven't listened to it yet about Evo um, Karlovich. <laughs> um, he's on the list in, in Charlottesville right now. And he lost God's second round last year in Charlottesville, maybe. Maybe even first round. Um, but you give Evo the ability to serve well indoors, he's going to be fine. <laughs> um, Tommy Paul's still on the list right now in Charlottesville. Um, so if he plays, I think you have to put him on the list. Dennis <laughs> Kudla Dennis Kudla's always had quarterfinal or semifinal success in Charlottesville. Um, that is home for him, just up the road in uh, Virginia. I have to put him on the list. Braden Schnurr. I think could be a guy who actually does pretty well. Um, he's had a rough back half of the season, um, so I don't know where his confidence level is, um, but that's pretty close to home, and I, I think he feels comfortable on those indoor courts. And then Bradley Klon. Um, he's at a different place mentally right now, um, and I, I'm, I'm always a big believer that when Bradley Klon is locked in, uh, he's, he's about as good as anyone in terms of knowing who he is and knowing what he wants to do. If, if I'm being honest, thinking about JJ Wolf, um, I, I think Klon is a guy I try to emulate in terms of BK knows who he is. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. He's also going to outthink you. Um, and I think that's a, that's a guy he sh- that JJ Wolf should emulate trying to be, because that's a, that's a massive weapon that, that forehand from the deuce corner for Bradley Klon is incredible. So if JJ Wolf gets to that point where he's, he is known for that weapon and, and knows how to set it up well, then we can talk. Um, so my second category, real ahead. quick, can I add, so all those five names valid and rather than break down each five, because I think they all stand for different reasons. Also, just fun fact, I was, while you're talking, Evo lost six and four to Tommy Paul in the quarterfinals last year. In okay, quarterfinals. Yeah, okay. so definitely a threat. I agree. But can I make a case for one guy who I think should be included in that contender list? Absolutely. Marcos Giron who has had himself one heck of a season now, probably the healthiest season he's put together of his career as well. Talk about one, two, and three, that being so uh, up and down for him, you know, two new hips, all of these different ailments throughout. But put together a really solid season, and you look for him, I think, A, one big thing I circle is he really doesn't have that many points to defend from last year. He was a qualifier before winning one round in Charlottesville, no wins in Houston or Knoxville, so he's got that component as well, and if he's ever going to make a push to get that direct entry into the Australian Open, crack that top 100, now would be a time for him, and he has been rock solid in 2019. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely uh, a valid point. Quarterfinal in Dallas, uh, which was indoor. Semifinal in Cleveland indoors. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's that is certainly within the realm of possibility. You, you mentioned health, uh, though right now it is not at its best. Um, he, he has struggled a little bit after New Haven. Uh, had to retire and carry. Uh, was not 100% in Tiburon either. Um, so I, I, I do have some concerns and and. A, a guy who I point to uh, who's been in this particular spot year after year and isn't right now because he's dealing with some issues uh, physically as well is Bjorn Fertangelo, mm-hmm. a guy who was uh, uh, like every single year, the last four years has been right around 120 at this stretch. Um, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do when you're staring at the end of the season in the face and you're realizing, God, if I can just put together one good week i can get top 100 it's hard um 
and especially Bjorn would try to fight through injuries to get there. And I, I worry about that with Marcos as well, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Yeah. Okay. Well, then with that in mind, category two. Yeah, it's the I, I think the most interesting storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, obviously, of that category is Jack Sock. Uh, number two, Marius Kopel and Paolo Lorenzi are both in Knoxville right now. Um, I don't <laughs> know why. Uh, Paolo is my boy. Uh, <laughs> mostly because he's the only guy who, like, we're the same age-ish. So, like, you know, we, we go and eat the 5 o'clock Denny's dinner together. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, 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 I have never seen Paolo play indoors, so I don't know what that will entail. Um, Marius Copel, if he's actually motivated to play a challenger in Knoxville, that is probably the guy I put at the top of the list, frankly. Yeah, that's um, a very good that's, player. <laughs> yes. So if, if he's there, if he's healthy and motivated, yeah, that could be scary. I think um, Paolo just wants another shot at the Spider man. I think he's hoping Svita gets a, some sort of wild card into one of these. He's like, oh, I'll play him for another four hours. Oh, God. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have the utmost respect for Paolo. Uh, I really do. He's just – the guy's effing grinder, and I just respect the hell out of him. Um, and, then, and then my third list, I mentioned it up at the outset. Michael Moe is on my dark horse list. There's two names for me. Um, so Michael Moe will be a guy who's, what, 250, 270 right now. I, I haven't actually looked, but um, I can look. I'll, I'll look because I know you're going to look if I don't. 280 right now <laughs> as I record this. Um, so he's, he's, he's my number one on the Dark Horse list. Um, he could fall down as low as 330, 340. Um, but I think, I think now that he doesn't have those points to defend – coming to a comfortable spot. He won in Knoxville a couple years ago. I think he has to be up there. And then I'm just going to throw this name out there. Uh, maybe it's time. Sekou Bangora. Ooh. Uh, I, I, he is reunited with the, his, his coach who got him to that career high around 190, something like that, a couple years ago. Um, and I, I, I just have a feeling if he hasn't absolutely – beating himself to death this is one issue for Seku over the years is that he just works so damn hard and then sometimes his legs are not incredibly fresh at the at the end um i mean he went from tiburon quarterfinal to playing a, the, the futures in norman oklahoma then back to fairfield the guy just plays week in week out i i just have a feeling that this one of these events just one of these events might allow him to get to a final. So that, that's my dark horse. I like it. Thank you, Ben Gora. I'm always a fan of a former college. He's clearly Florida tennis is on your mind is yeah, what I'm I looking. Guess so. And just to piss you off, Sekou Bangora career high of number 213, just so you know. 213, um, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I, I like that pick. Let me add two more dark horse slash storylines to monitor. Uh, this gets back to a match you covered in Tiburon, and then he follows up uh, that quarterfinal. Fantastic match, but lost to fellow UVA. We'll say maybe both now alum, or not alums, but former players at UVA. I'll get to that in a second. But Brandon Nakashima, who I yeah. think the now rising sophomore at UVA, who uh, sneak peek for our listeners, we're going to be releasing our cracked interviews, I think, alongside of this podcast with him uh, today. So be on the lookout for that. But again, as I mentioned, round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, the past three challengers for him. He is now inside the top 500, I want to say, at a career high around the 470 range uh, right now, Brandon Nakashima. So some Somewhere around there, but when I uh, up four eighty eight is the number. Um, when I t- mm-hmm. when we talked to him on the pod, I obviously asked him, "Is he going back to college?" And while he wasn't going to commit one way or the other, he said he thinks his level is ready for professional tennis. You got to see it up close. Agree or disagree? Who? Um, that's it's tough. This is a tough question. I think he is capable of right now being around 150. Okay. So this is why I hate the word potential, right? Okay. Um, Brandon Nakashima is, again, another one of these young men with an incredible tennis IQ. He has decision-making capabilities on court, which are phenomenal, which are going to get him to a point very quickly where he's going to be one of those guys who wins the matches he's supposed to win. 
I think what will be interesting for me to watch whenever it is that he decides to turn pro is what's his weapon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's what's that weapon to get him to the next level? And two, his biggest shortcoming right now outside of outside of that is um, he's he is he's not the fastest player. Um, he's he's smart about it, and his footwork is very damn good like really damn good it makes up for it a lot but when you start to play those the players with a bigger game you know the footwork gets you to a great spot or a good spot what can you do to get to that great spot can he increase the the speed um that's necessary at that next level so i i think right now he's capable of 150 for sure i have no no qualms saying that if you plugged him in in the rankings that was 150 he would absolutely represent that level perfectly if not a little bit better um i i think so how he handles that physicality aspect and then also um you know just the the grind the slog of being out on tour um week in week out losing um week in week out when he does start to have a couple of first round losses that that add up um i i think like i said 150 right now totally fine um, he is absolutely capable of that. Now it's just a matter of you know what he can do to shore up those two things, and, and then we'll see. He's got things going for him. The former absolutely. world number three junior, obviously, so that sort of pedigree. is still only 18 years old. I yep. mean, he could go back for a sophomore year and be 19 when he comes out. Now it's, A, do you want you know to have a winter like this? Do you want to capitalize it with a full season of professional events as opposed to going back to college? That's a choice he has to make. Yep. He did and, see- and his coaches. Yeah, don't, don't and, forget them. because um, no. I yes, he can make the decisions. Um, I, I think if uh, if I'm Andres Pedroso down in Charlottesville, what I'm saying is I I here's what we can do to build your schedule around ours, so you are able to continue building your professional resume. Um, so I, that's that's what I'm doing right now. If I'm Andres, and I'm I'm sure he's looking at that as best he can. Or he goes the complete reverse round and says, hey, we really admire Coach Shelton. No more professional events. Sorry, Brandon. Yeah, and then, and then he loses ranks. Brandon. Not <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, Brandon's level. You, you talked about him not being – I mean, he's so – his biggest strength right now in terms of the weapon he has is how calm he stays. He's Correct. so still on court. Nothing seems to fluster him or get him to work up positively. He just says even keel. That's part of yep. his game, and it allows him to be rational at all times. His game yep. very well thought out. He, you know, so, so smart about taking balls early, as you mentioned, to compensate for uh, the lack of outstanding, we'll say, defensive abilities he can just you know slug 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 on that forehand it's violent body turn in my opinion yes. it's really fun to watch um but it you know you're right it's a very interesting uh question for him i think that's why it's going to be fun to watch him in these indoor stretch because it's almost certain we'll see him in charlottesville with some sort of wild card right and yes. so, so if not that, it, you know, he goes on another run there, right? Continues, to, let's say quarterfinal there, maybe. What do you need for special exemption into Knoxville? Uh, no special exempts. Oh, even better. Uh, so yeah. he, he'd have to get a run <laughs> of wild cards. The point, do well enough to get into multiple events. But if he can get good results at two or out of these last three weeks, I mean, top 400, top 300. He's 18, but it's awfully appealing. Yeah, I think. Listen, if if he were to ask me, I'm actually looking and I'm trying to see if he's even on the Knoxville list. Um, yeah, he could be close ranking wise as well. No, he is not. Interesting. Um, I don't actually see him on there at all. Hmm. That's maybe I'm over. I don't think I'm overlooking him. He's not on the list. Yeah, maybe. In, in, oh, that's Charlottesville. Shoot. Ah. Uh, Knoxville. Okay. Here we so go. He's likely a wild card there. By the way, we're leaving this live. This is the stuff listeners want. Yeah, obviously. Okay, he is on the list for for Knoxville. So, okay. um, he's twenty five out. Twenty five out, right? Uh, as of so, when it came yeah. out this so week. So that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I so he wouldn't get a special exempt wild card is certainly a possibility. Um, I. I, if I'm if I'm him, I'm I am just going back to school. I am I am worrying more about just making sure I can play a professional schedule in the spring alongside the college events that are most crucial for Virginia. 
Um, and I'm just going to get that ranking up to a point where it's inside the top 300. And then May 28th or whatever it is, turn pro and, and go for it and keep those contracts. I, I know that he's been offered some pretty sizable endorsements already. It's going to be hard to turn that down um, for five or six months. But I think that's I, – I would give that advice to almost every junior trying to make a decision whether to turn pro at 18. Um, I, like Zvida, I, I don't know him at all. I, I, it makes me sad thinking he's going to be 16 years of age and going out on tour. Um, and I, I hope for him that he enjoys it. I hope for him that he's successful. Um, but God, it, I saw so many kids who failed um, over the last couple of years rather than the ones that were truly special. And so I, I just want to make sure that those young guys, 16, 17, 18, just realize you, it's, it's a difficult road. And so make sure you're, you know, right on top of it. You uh, do a good job, I would say, staying out of the prediction business, but I'm putting you on the yeah. spot here. Mo- All right, give me the most likely scenario. Nakashima goes back to school, but Brooksby goes pro. Brooksby mm-hmm. goes to Baylor, but Nakashima goes pro. Both go pro, neither go pro, and both go to college. What's mo- most yeah. likely to happen? Wow. Um, I, 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 everything I've heard tells me that Jensen's going to go to school for at least one year. Really? Um, yes. Um, Ooh, I, we may have different. Okay. Uh, I don't want dis- to. I love Brian Boland. So, yeah, he's going to school. That's all I'll say. But I've also I've heard both ways. That's the, I've really have yeah. heard both ways. But on the other hand, I've heard that Brandon Nakashima has sizable endorsement contracts, mm-hmm. um, which uh, would allow him then to. I mean, that then you don't have to worry about the financials of playing at a challenger for eight, nine months. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily true for Jensen unless, you know, I don't know what the rules are. I assume he has some X amount of time to, to take that prize money from the U.S. Open, I assume. Um, but, yeah, I, if, if I'm, again, I, I, think, I think one year of college is a minimum that I would, would say to Jensen Brooksby, yeah, just take, take a year, please. I think, so you, that was a, a bit of a cop-out. You didn't give an no, answer. I, it, okay, so it, most likely— yeah, of the, of those options, I would yeah. I would say Nakashima goes pro, Brooksby stays in school. I like that. That's health, school. healthy for college tennis. That'd be an, all right. Yeah. Last name, I swear, and then I'll let you go because we've okay. gone over time. Ernesto, I'm watching my, my I'm what, let me just say I'm watching my boy Bed on Drew, uh, who's my my poker coach. He's he's uh, <laughs> he's at a final table of an event in Reno right now, so I, I've got right. the the live stream pulled up right now so I can watch him. He's my guy. I love it. Um, well, then this goes along perfectly. Speaking of the uh, a little gamble this week as a dark horse, or just over the last home stretch, Ernesto Escobedo, who's come alive mm. as of late, who's finally seems to be finding that form. Obviously, got yeah. his first challenger title in a while uh, in, I believe, Canada. Uh, now, not a guy who whose game has screams indoor success, but no. given how hard he can hit, <laughs> given that he has the confidence, I don't know. What do you expect to see from him down the home stretch? Because this is important for him as well uh true um uh yeah because he's yeah he's 247 current mm-hmm. ranking so he needs to just make sure he's into australia stay That's, the course yeah it just just get into australia just mm-hmm. don't you know a couple of wins here will will do it because i don't think he has anything yeah he has he has like eight points to defend the rest of the year so i think actually one more win could happen tomorrow in las vegas could get him there I think for him more than anything is actually I all right I'm gonna this is gonna be a bold bold thing mm. if he if he wins tomorrow in Las Vegas or so I guess today as as this comes out I wouldn't play indoors really I might play Houston if I'm him okay but I'm not I'm not playing indoors I don't want to ruin the confidence. Uh, I want him to just focus on staying healthy. It has been a lot of tennis this back half of the year. Let's just get to a good place health-wise, go back for another large training block right before Australia and whatever challenger he plays right beforehand, and I'd just go with that. All right, that's fair. Well, then, uh, I guess last thing I want to do always, because we've mentioned all of your – I appreciate you entertaining my time. I want to give you a chance to plug your work, tell our listeners where they can find mm-hmm. you. We've mentioned the Coffee Cast on the USTA Pro Circuit stream, but where are you going to be down this home stretch? 
Yeah, so it'll be Charlottesville, Knoxville, and Champaign to end the year before heading to Australia in January um, for qualies through quarters. Um, but yeah, the coffee cast is big for us. Um, we, we're trying to do new episodes every Monday. Um, and let's see, I just I, I just updated the website, MikeCTennis.com. Uh, and, you know, when I'm not uh, doing some tennis, I'm actually going to start streaming my poker again after after the indoors. Ooh. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, it's just a little fun thing for me to do on the side. Would you say so you're... Would you say you're poker playing Chris Moneymaker equivalent? No. <laughs> no. What's I your mean, style? You're more of what are the the fills? There's a couple fills, right? Uh, let's see. What's my style? Um, I'm trying to Phil Hellmuth. Hellmuth's one of the names. No, I'm I'm no Daniel Negranu. You're a Balder yeah, Negranu. No, I'm like I'm boring. <laughs> I am I am the Brandon Nakashima of tennis <laughs> um, or of poker. Yeah, of, of, of poker. I'm, I'm just, it's Sam, Sam Riffis. I'm not sexy about it. I just, I, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. My IQ level is good. So there's nothing really sexy about it. Just trying to have some fun. And, and when I do stream in the rare cases where I do stream, I just kind of, I just have some fun, listen to some music, chill out, um, have some conversation with the viewers. It's, it's, it's relaxing. It's fun. Sure. Counterpoint, the Riffis jawline appealing he's got the job for sure (laughs) no sam's a great dude yeah big fan yeah last one what about forehands for philanthropy how can people get involved that would involve me getting all of my shit together uh, (laughs) frankly i appreciate you always bringing that up so i I moved to tulsa oklahoma in may i have two gigantic tupperware tubs of things that have been donated to charity um, by players over the last several years and frankly, I just have gotten to a point now where my house is set and I'm able to do some different things. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to actually uh, trying to do that again after these indoors are done. All right. Well, we will be on the lookout for that. Mike Cation, again, you can find Coffee Cast every week with Cation and Ruben. One of, it's a pleasure to call you my Tennis Channel Podcast Network brethren. I'm going to affectionately refer to you as my podfather moving forward. But oh Mike, my God. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't Don't ever you. do that again. <laughs> well, as always, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you on the stream as we go down the season's home stretch. Of course, Alex. Thanks for the time. Of course. Take care. Hope you enjoyed our chat with the one and only Mike Cation. Of course, anytime Mike is willing to chat with me, I really do bother him too often, but we so much appreciate that. His insight, one of a kind, given that he has the front row seat, as we mentioned, to all the action that's about to transpire and that has transpired on the American Challenger circuit. So really appreciate him taking the time. Hope you listeners will be on the lookout for all of those events. Uh, You can check him out again, our Tennis Channel Podcast Network brethren, the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben this week they did a canadian thanksgiving talking about all the things they are thankful for in the tennis world so go give that a listen follow him during usta pro circuit matches or at livestream.com backslash atp if you've missed any of the action from the tennis world again you need to catch up on all things atp wta all things tennis be sure to check out our website crackedrackets.com you know the deal by now this podcast the great shot podcast where we started our best of the decade series talking about the best 10 or the best five six excuse me it's hard to keep track we talked about a bunch of them, but the best ATP seasons of the decade. A lot of Djokovic talk, a lot of Nadal, some Andy Murray and Roger Federer spice that I promise you all will enjoy. Uh, cracked interviews as well. Vicky Duval finally going solo with uh, assistant coach at Florida and former NCAA great Lauren Embry talking about her career, when to hang it up, what it's like as a coach now transitioning from player to coach. And of course, our usual slate of things. College tennis is on the horizon, so we've had, I mentioned Brandon Nakashima out today as well, Keegan Smith. We've got all of the ITA champions in the pipeline as well. So be on the lookout for those. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Again, I'll stop asking when I see the downloads we get per episode match, the amount of ratings we have on iTunes. But with that in mind, shout out to the super producers, Max Legner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do as always. And as those guys know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But for the great and one and only Mike Cation, our wonderful co-host today, for my super producers, Max Legner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire team at Crack Rack, I'm your host, Alex Greskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.